Good evening, everyone. How are you doing this evening? Good, good. Someone came up to me just before the service, and uh, they said, Happy Easter. And they said they weren't sure if they could say Happy Good Friday, because it's kind of a somber thing. How do you say Happy Good Friday? I said, well, we're happy it happened, right? We're happy for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we're here to talk about Good Friday, you know, usually... For a Good Friday message, we're going to talk a lot about the cross. And tonight is no different. We will talk about the cross tonight, but we're going to do it from a different perspective than maybe we're used to talking about. I want to talk about the cross before Jesus died on one. What do you think of when you think about the cross? What does that mean to you? Is it just an image that churches like to use a lot? Is it a symbol of hope to you, maybe? A symbol of religion? Something that people wear around their necks on a necklace or maybe tattoo on their ankle or or on their their bicep? You know, if you have a bigger cross, then I guess that's a good thing. You've got a bigger tattoo on your bicep. Has the cross become just an indicator of a very spiritual person to us? Well, back when Jesus walked this earth some 2,000 years ago... The cross meant something very different than it does today. It was a symbol of brutality. It was a symbol that would strike fear and horror into people's minds. Now imagine if you were walking through a store today. Let's say you were out doing some shopping, and you happen to know someone with a peculiar necklace around their neck. And as you got closer to them, you noticed that what they actually had was a miniature electric chair dangling from their neck. What would you think about that person and their beliefs? Pretty strange, right? Something odd is going on here if you see someone walking around with an electric chair hanging around their neck. And yet, to someone 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, that's how they would think about us with all our crosses today. If they were to see one of us with our crosses that we put kind of on the shelf or around our necks or tattoos or whatever it is, put in our churches, of course we have a a cross up here in the window. If they were to see that, they would be very confused and think, why on earth would we be celebrating a cross? That gruesome practice. Why would we be celebrating that? Now, there's nothing wrong with our crosses, and I'm not trying to say that there is. We know what that means. We know what that represents. It represents what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But to someone 2,000 years ago, that would have been taken very differently. And I want us to understand that because of how I want to talk about the cross tonight. Not so much as that instrument of death that Jesus died on, though we'll talk about that a little bit, but also about the perception of the cross at the time when Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago because he actually talked about the cross multiple times before he actually died on one. And when his audience heard him talk about the cross, they would hear it very differently than we do today. For Jesus... The cross, as he was teaching his disciples, was a metaphor for what he was inviting them to do with their lives. Now to see this, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16. So if you have a Bible with you, 
Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 16. This is also in the YouVersion Bible app if you want to use a, a mobile device to look this up. Just look for events and then first free church. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 21. Read along with me. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Verse 22, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Before we go any further, let's take a moment and ask God to bless our time together and teach us as we study his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what Jesus Christ did for us two millennia ago. How he died on the cross for us. We are thankful that he didn't stay dead. That he rose again and we'll celebrate that in a few days. Lord, help us now as we study your word to understand the significance of the cross and what it meant when you taught it to your disciples. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus was constantly teaching and preparing people. As you see him through the Bible, he's always teaching, he's always preparing. He's teaching his disciples how God wants them to live. He's teaching them about God. He's teaching them to prepare for the future. He's constantly trying to get them ready for something. And thankfully, we have men like Matthew and others who have written these teachings down and passed them on from generation to generation, and now we are teaching them today. All the way down today, we now have the teachings of Jesus Christ to learn from. But what I want to do is roll back the clock a little bit and ask the question with that passage we just read, how would Matthew have understood this teaching? How would Jesus' disciples, hearing this talk about taking up a cross shortly before Jesus died, how would they have understood this teaching? What would a first century AD audience think hearing their leader use terminology like this? I wonder if we ever read into these types of passages our own symbolism and our own understanding of our, our Western culture and our modern culture in that context into what the Bible talks about. So we're going to look at that together. And what I want to do is just walk through verse by verse, starting in verse 21, and talk about it as we go. Verse 21 says this, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly up until now, he's been speaking in parables. Now he's going to tell them plainly that it was necessary. 
It had to happen for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, why is this so important? Well, just a few verses earlier, if, you, if you'd look back earlier in that chapter, you will see that Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, for the first time, says, you are the Messiah. And that was a wonderful recognition. That was great that they understood now, okay, he is the Messiah. There was only one problem with that, and that was Peter's idea about what the Messiah was there to do, and God's idea about what the Messiah was there to do were two different things. Peter and many others thought that the Messiah was going to come to bring physical salvation to the nation of Israel that they would see the Messiah kick Rome out of their land and set up a new Jewish kingdom to rule perfectly there. And so Jesus, as he's talking about this thing that is to come for him, sort of flips the script on Peter, and he's not talking about a salvation from Rome. He's talking about a salvation from sin. He's talking about a spiritual salvation. He's talking about salvation that requires a sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own life. This is not just salvation from Rome at one point in time. This is salvation from sin for eternity. And as Jesus is talking about the suffering that is to come, he's not just saying that their revolution is going to face some challenges. He's not just saying that their revolution is going to face some casualties or that it's going to be a very difficult time for him. He's saying it won't look very much like a revolution at all. It's going to be necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. But don't worry, he will come back from the dead. That must have sounded incredibly odd to his audience. So Peter hears this and thinks that can't be right. This is not how this Messiah thing is supposed to work. He's supposed to kick out the Romans, set up the Jewish kingdom, and then rule perfectly right then and there. So Peter has this little sidebar with Jesus. Look at verse 22. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Can you imagine reprimanding Jesus? What a crazy thing to do. But see, again, we are reading our modern culture and context back into the Scriptures. We are going, how could you even think of doing this? But for Peter, this was evidently an okay thing to do. He began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. And you know what? From Peter's perspective, I get it. That makes sense to me. But what did Jesus do? Jesus leveled an even more serious rebuke back on Peter. He says in the next verse, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me. What's he say? Satan. Wow. Can you imagine Jesus calling you Satan? Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You know, when we face difficult situations in our lives, We have to constantly remind ourselves that we see things from a human point of view and not from God's. And maybe you're dealing with a difficult situation at work right now. Maybe you've had a family member or a loved one say or do some very hurtful things to you. 
Maybe you or a loved one are struggling with some very serious health issues right now. Maybe you're struggling with some questions about your beliefs. Even as we just wrapped up a series on prioritizing beliefs a couple of weeks ago. And whatever it is, we have to remember that our point of view is very different from our God's point of view. And keep those things in perspective. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But how could it be a good thing for Jesus to suffer and die? How could that possibly be part of God's will? I mean, can you see from Peter's perspective here, Messiah, the one who's going to save us from this oppressive Roman rule, and you're saying you're going to suffer and die. And even if you do come back from the dead, how can this be what God wants? It doesn't make sense unless there is a greater purpose to all of this. It doesn't make sense unless it's not just about physical salvation, it's about spiritual salvation. And here's the principle that Peter did not understand. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen now so great things can happen later. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen now so that great things can happen later. And we have no more pure example of this than Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen now so great things can happen later. And this is true in our lives today. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You know, that situation that you're facing at work may be an opportunity for you to develop endurance, to display godly character. Maybe as you respond to that situation with graciousness, it gives an opportunity for people to see a difference about your life and they know what you're struggling with right now and the difficult situation that that has put you in and they see how you respond and they start to ask you, why are you so happy with what's going on right now? And you're able to show the love of Christ and share your faith in Christ because of that. Your family member that hurt you is an opportunity for you to show unconditional love and graciousness and grow in your endurance. The health problem that God has not healed you or a loved one of is an opportunity for you to, to show God's strength in your weakness, for him to be glorified by your responsive maturity to the situation that he has allowed you to go through. The belief issue that you're wrestling with is an opportunity to dig into God's word. It drives you to study his word, to spend time in prayer, to wrestle with some issues and ultimately to rely on God and to admit that maybe we can't understand everything and so we need to rely on him because we will never know as much as he knows. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. Sometimes God allows challenging, bad things to happen now so that something great can happen later. Well, after this, Jesus 
says something amazing to those who are around him, the people who are following him. And what he says here is key to everything we're thinking about and talking about this week. Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, this is the key. Here it is. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Now remember, at this point, Jesus has not died on the cross. But he's talking about the cross with his disciples. Think about how they would have heard that. It didn't have the kind of symbolism to them that it does to us today. Take up your cross bear your cross. This was a gruesome form of execution reserved for horrible criminals. It was meant to display the justice of Rome against criminals and rebels that they wanted to put on display. Someone would be, who was going to be killed on the cross would first be beaten. And then they would have to carry one of the beams on top of their wounds through the streets as crowds would taunt and jeer at them. And then they would be nailed to this cross and hoisted up on display. It was an incredibly agonizing, brutal, painful, humiliating experience until ultimately they would die of suffocation as they could no longer lift themselves up to take another breath. And if it took too long, the soldiers would come around and break their legs so they could no longer stand up to breathe. This was a horrible thing to be talking about. And when Jesus was talking about taking up a cross, he was not talking about some minor inconveniences that we would have to face in life that would become our cross to bear. That's not what he meant. He didn't mean that we might have some difficulty in life, but that we should learn to put up with it. He didn't mean that as long as we tried to have a good attitude about our problems as we floated through life, we were bearing our cross. That's not what this meant to the disciples. He says, first, we must give up our own way. That means my life, I'm willing to sacrifice it for Jesus. That means my way of doing things. That means my preferences, my way of thinking, my point of view. I'm willing to sacrifice those. And second, he says, take up your cross. This was the posture of someone who knew they were going to lose their life. This was the first step on that journey toward losing their life. This wasn't just giving up something for God or putting up with something inconvenient. This was saying, my whole life belongs to Christ. I am a marked person. I will give my life unto death. But not just a willingness to die for Christ, a willingness to live for him. Jesus didn't say you have to be willing to die on a cross. He said, take up your cross. You have to be willing to give your life for Christ and willing to live your life for Christ. See, many of us spend an incredible amount of time and energy trying to engineer our lives to be just the way we want them to be. And then as long as we still believe in God, as long as we still go to church, maybe even give some money to God's work, try to have a good attitude when bad things happen, we, we think we're good. And that's not what Jesus said at all. 
He called us to a much higher level of commitment. He has called us to give up our own way, to take up our cross and follow him. And that involves a decision at a point in time and then a continued commitment that does not end at that time. We are to take up our cross and one step after another follow him with this attitude. I am a marked person. I have given my life to Christ. My life is not my own. I give up my ways, my preferences, my desires, and I now live wholly to glorify and serve Him. And if that means I don't get all the stuff I want in life, I'm okay with that. Because I am now living for Christ. My life is not my own. And all those bad things that happen, that's not my cross to bear. That's just a byproduct of the fact that my life is fully devoted to God. The cross is not just a symbol of what Jesus did for us. It's also a symbol of the level of commitment and devotion he expects from us. That's what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross. And then he finishes with this. And I will finish with this as well. Verse 25. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we could not be more grateful that you gave your life for us. That you died on a cross, a brutal and horrible death, to pay a price that we could never, ever hope to possibly pay. And then you made a way for us to share in salvation, to have freedom from sin. And in a few days, we will celebrate the fact that you went on to conquer sin and death, that you did rise from the dead, just as you said you would. And now our lives are changed and transformed because of it. And now, Lord, as we, as we remember your death, help us, Lord, to remember the commitment that you have called us to, to take up our cross, not just to put up with an inconvenience, but to give our life fully for you every single day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to take communion together. And for this special communion, we're actually all going to come down front in lines. Now, we have lots of time designated for this, so don't feel like you have to rush this. You can pray, spend some time in the Word if you want, and when you are ready, come on down front, and in a little bit, we'll, we'll have you take communion here together. Just a, a few instructions for you. If you need gluten-free bread, there is gluten-free bread all the way on this side to your far left. When you come up, please tear off a good-sized chunk of bread so that when you dip it in the juice, your fingers don't get in there with everyone else's. Before we serve communion, I'm going to read what Paul said about why we do this 
Why do we do this? It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, if you want to follow along. For I pass on to you, Paul said, what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm going to pray now, and the band is going to stay silent for a couple of minutes. Feel free to come up whenever you are ready. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for what you have done for us. And as we now partake of the bread and the cup, let it be a reminder to us, God, of the sacrifice that you made for us, your body, your blood given for us. We thank you, Lord, and we remember what you've done. In your name we pray, amen.